Ben Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 18 of the Pennsylvania Project. Can you believe it? 18 already. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. And to achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. Right. Right? Bloody well right, as the song goes. We have a cerebral episode planned for you today, maybe. And like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can always contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can tune in afterwards and listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or whoever your favorite podcast provider may be. Today for the you part, we have a broad mix of new questions. One about copycat legislation, fracking question, I've been waiting for that, taxes again, medical freedom, and more. After that, part two is all about them. Each episode, we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental challenges facing Pennsylvania. And our guest today is All Cultural. First time we've ever had an All Cultural guest on the Pennsylvania Project. She's Rhea M. Baskerville, a mental health advocate. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today's rant, segueing off the question we got in, is restricting medical freedom. And throughout the show, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and whatever comes into our mailbag. Today, we have with us a member of the Drexel University Toastmasters, Ariel Vaknin. Ariel, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. Listen, I got to ask you, what do you like about being a Toastmaster? Um, I like the people there. They treat us all like family, and they also offer very good advice on how to get better at your public speaking. Mm-hmm. And leadership. Don't forget the leadership. Of course. She's still smiling, too. You know she enjoys it. All right, let's dig into the mailbag. And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. What do we got, Ariel? So this is from Benny McCann. He is from Ellsworth City, Pennsylvania. He says, well, now, look, Kenny, this time I really have a question that impacts Pennsylvanians. (laughs) What measures would you put in place to control copycat legislation, which, as you know, is traditionally written by industry lobbyists, includes boilerplates text that is copied from one bill to the next, and a signature page for bill sponsors that is also copied over to other bills, in some cases without the sponsor's knowledge. One Pennsylvania congressman was listed as a sponsor on 70 bills without his knowledge. Hmm. The bills are hurtful to Pennsylvania Consumers. The Center for Public Integrity described legislation crafted by an auto dealers association this way. Dealers are pushing copycat legislation that allows them to continue selling recalled used cars without fixing them first. Consumer advocates say that's a cop out. Thanks for fielding my questions. Wow. It's good to hear from you again, Bernie. It's been a while. You have an interesting take on the issues. I mean, you always have. And it's one that I don't necessarily share. So let me, let me take that in, in smaller pieces. Uh, first of all, let's talk about copycat legislation, then your lobbyists, then your 70 bills, then the Center for Public Integrity. Makes me wonder with a title like that. And then we'll touch on used cars. Let's start first of all with your definition of copycat legislation. I think it's pretty good. Boilerplate text copy from one bill to the next. 
a signature page for sponsors copied over to other bills? That sounds like an accurate description. But you know, when you say copycat, doesn't that have like a bad connotation to it? It doesn't seem quite right. I'm thinking, what's wrong with copycat legislation? Why would you want to make it sound so negative? Couldn't you call it tried and true legislation instead? Put a positive spin on it? You know, maybe the, the bill worked in other places and it's something we do want to try, or, or maybe it didn't. But in either case, you're saying copycat like, like it's the plague or something like that. Why, why use negative terminology at all? I mean, was it chosen to present it in the worst possible light? Did you do that on purpose? You don't have an agenda, do you, Bernie? Good grief. How about going in the opposite direction, like a positive direction? So don't say used cars, say pre-owned cars. You know, like SpaceX, they don't have used rockets. They have flight-proven rockets. They launch them multiple times. Instead of saying copycat, why don't you just say researched? Because that way you've gotten it from somewhere else. And, you know, I checked this, some of the sources that you had, and I found some great quotes from the copycat legislators. They all had great reasons for being tried and true or copycat. One of them was they wanted to harmonize laws from state to state so it's easier for businesses to set up in multiple states. That way they don't have to keep paying out to the lawyers. Don't get me started about lawyers. Another reason why it's good to have this tried and true legislation is that it's been proven to work in some other place. And a lot of times they're just common sense ideas. I'm surprised that, you know, you didn't mention that one of the reasons could be that legislators aren't smart enough to write their own bills. Could be the case. I've seen that in a few people. No names mentioned, of course. No comment. Excuse me. Bottom line here is, stripped of your emotional phraseology, I think copycat legislation can be a good thing. One of the ones that I'm personally pushing is the Universal Charitable Credit Act which is working right now in Arizona, what they do is you can deduct dollar for dollar off your federal taxes any money that you contribute to a charity. Now, it's working down there in Arizona. It would work here in Pennsylvania. Does that make me a copycat legislator? That's something I would love to copy. Less taxes in the hands of the government, more choice in the hands of the people. That's pretty good. So, so much for tried and true copycat legislation. could be a good thing. But then you mentioned lobbyists. There's another word to put activists, citizen activists, in the worst possible light. Because when you reduce this to basics, anybody who contacts their legislator about any issue, you can call them a lobbyist. I'd call them involved citizens, and I do that kind of stuff all the time. I personally lobby for all sorts of laws, equal ballot access, lower taxes, ending the drug war. I already mentioned the Charitable Credit Act. So am I now an evil lobbyist? What's wrong with that, Bernie? You know, what's wrong with companies trying to influence legislation too? All comes out good. Because the only problem that I have with lobbying is when they're lobbying to restrict your rights. Look at Tesla, for example. I love the example of Tesla. They're currently lobbying state legislators to allow them to sell cars in their different states without going through a dealership. Because a lot of states have laws saying you have to use a dealership. Well, selling without a dealership, that sounds good to me. Just sell them online like they're doing. Who is the government to interfere in the free market? The only time, as I said, lobbying is bad is when they're trying to lobby to restrict your rights. For for example, if they pass a law saying that you can only sell cars through dealerships, that's a restriction of rights. I wonder who fought for that law. Who lobbied for that law? You want to bet it wasn't the dealerships and the car companies? I don't know. 
As a libertarian, I believe that you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided you respect the rights and property of others. Or to put that more colloquially, we libertarians are people who have agreed not to use the government to beat each other up. And I will always continue to lobby for that. And by the way, in the interest of full disclosure, I am a Tesla shareholder. And I'm a Ford shareholder. And a Chrysler shareholder. So I have feet on all sides of this fence. What does that make me? I don't know. Uh, beats me. Let's go to your next one. No, Bernie, I mean, you had like five, six things in there. This is a great question. You said this, somebody sponsored 70 bills without his knowledge. Well, I took a look. You're talking about Tom Mert from Montgomery County, which is where I'm sitting right now. He's a state rep and not a congressman, and he did know about it. You take a look at those Inquirer articles about him and different places like that. I'm not a Mert supporter, but, you know, he's a Republican. I'm a Libertarian. But I thought he had a great quote when they asked him, why did you do this? Here, let me read it word for word. If it's good policy and it makes sense and it's going to help people in Pennsylvania, does it really matter where it came from? Indeed, I can agree with that. I may disagree with Tom on other stuff, but that's fine. And then I went and looked up this Center for Public Integrity. Great title. I don't worry about people who have to flaunt their integrity. My father once told me the only people who talk about trust are people you can't trust. So I'm wondering about this public integrity. So I looked at their website, and their mission is, quote, to protect democracy and inspire change using investigative reporting that betray that excuse me that exposes pup betrayal of the public trust by powerful interests. Sounds good, doesn't it? Problem is, it doesn't really say anything. Do you notice how all those terms are subjective? Depends upon who the speaker is. Like, protect democracy. Ben Franklin once said, "Democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for lunch." That's why we have a constitution to protect ourselves from the wolves. These guys inspire change. What kind of change? Good or bad? You know, I was not a fan of President Obama with his change. Enough change then, thank you. Now, investigative reporting. Well, isn't all reporting investigative? Beats me. I think so. And then betrayal. Oh, that's a subjective word. Because that can be good or bad depending which side you're on. And I don't know what side they're on yet because they're all subjective words. Public trust. Which public? Which members of the public? The libertarian members of the public? The Fascist members of the public, as I was saying in the rant in episode 17, which, by the way, was a lot of fun, if you didn't catch that, on fascism in Pennsylvania. And then I read through some of their articles on the website. It's a steady stream of alarmist articles, things like copycat legislation, 70 bills, stuff like that. And I'm wondering which public they're representing here. I'm thinking the clickbait public. Beats me. I, like I said, I never found anything solid in there that says what they stand for. The only revealing I found out about them was the company that they keep. Their website lists a whole bunch of co-partners. The New York Times is one. Now, there's an honest reporter if I ever heard one. Not. They just got caught again for a... One lady was talking about space programs, and she says, oh, SpaceX is not thinking about women at all. And it's not true. I mean, they've got women training in SpaceX capsules. They just had to retract that. Here's another one. Another one of their co-partners is Mother Jones. Well, they're unbiased. Not. And the, the one that really got me was the Washington Post. They are a poster child for fake news. I would be ashamed to call them my co-partner. 
And I mentioned it in my very first rant, episode one, really sticks in my craw about talk radio. And I went on about how Washington Post, I gave examples of fake news after fake news after fake news. So anyway, I'd be real cautious about quoting any of these co-partners of theirs. And I'd be just as cautious about trying to quote the Center for Public Integrity. Especially I saw that they have, they've got 44 corrections posted over the last six years. That comes out to one every two months. They're making a mistake. Yeah, maybe a lot. We haven't done, had to do retraction here yet. This is episode 18. I should say something crazy. Get myself into a position where I have to do a retraction. I like President Obama. Oh, no. I like President Trump. Oh, no. I have to retract all of that. <laughs> all right. Last point, Bernie, there. You got about selling used cars. You could have more government interference in the free market. Look what it's gotten us already. It gave us car dealerships. It gave us the drug war. And you're going to force dealers to fix a recalled car? It's not the dealer's responsibility to fix a recalled car. It's the manufacturer's responsibility. You know, certainly the buyer should be told about any problems with it. That is, again, the, the dealer's responsibility, not the dealer, the manufacturer's responsibility. But forcing some third party to fix it? You know, the buyer may not want it fixed. You know, just today, this afternoon, I bought a used car. And there's some little problems with it. It's got some miles on it. One of the windows sticks occasionally like that. It might have been recalled for that. I don't care. I can live with it. You know, the price of the car is a little lower because of it. Should you force that person to, oh, you can't sell the car to Ken until you fix that window? Give me a break, Bernie. Good grief. Sounds like this law, I'll bet this is a copycat legislation being sent around by your center for some kind of public integrity or unintegrity or whatever it is. Because all it'll do is going to drive up the cost of used cars. It probably comes to the auto repair business. Yeah. They're the ones who might benefit. That's enough. I've taken up way too much time with your question already. I'm not going to be able to get to the second question. So, Ariel, why don't we jump right to the third? Okay. This is from Crystal Hunter, Hunsicker from Jonestown, Pennsylvania. Founder member of Pennsylvania Medical Freedom Alliance. Hi, Ken. I am wondering what your stance is on medical freedom, specifically on vaccine exemptions, Paul's Law, as well as the right to try. Thank you for your question. Oh, man. Thank you for the question. Crystal, that, that is great. A, a three-parter. And, you know, I started to answer it, and I was going to put it in as part of this one. And not only do we not have enough time for it, but I thought this is such a large issue that and it's not just those three specific laws. Because just the general oppression of medical freedom in Pennsylvania, that really sticks in my craw. So I'm going to save that for the me part of the show at the end, because medical oppression sticks in my craw. So we're going to have to stop right here, and that's going to do it for the you part of the show for this week. I spent too much time with Bernie. So we're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we will be talking with today's guest, mental health advocate Rhea M. Baskerville. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. 
Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my own radio podcast. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the Them portion of Episode 18 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. As I mentioned at the top of the show, my guest today is 100% cultural. She's Rhea M. Baskerville, a mental health advocate, member of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and she's here today to discuss some of the challenges of living with a mental disorder, somebody who has firsthand knowledge of mental disorders. She's from Bluebell, and she's a Penn State graduate, and she's got actuarial science. Science, thank you. I didn't write it down. And she's a Toastmaster of all things. How about that? Rhea, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Thank you so much, Ken. It's a pleasure to be here with you all this evening. Oh, likewise. A Toastmaster. Why do you like being a Toastmaster? we got to start there. Well, I've really probably been a Toastmaster since I was a child. I've never been shy to get up in front of an audience and to speak and to share my thoughts. In church in particular, you know, they would call for the young people to participate in service Uh and they would ask for a volunteer to come and pray or to read the announcements. And all the other children were like, no, not me. I don't want to do it. No, thank (laughs) you. And I would raise my hand and I'd say, I'll do it. And that's really where I got my start as far as public speaking, was Uh in church. And so the church members would see me in the various dramas that we would do at holiday time, and they would say, you're a natural. Uh You should really get involved in this in school. So then I joined the drama club in school, and the rest is sort of history. So I've just always loved public speaking and being in front of an audience. I'm a ham. I (laughs) I love to talk and share my thoughts Uh, and hear from others. Rio, you're very, a very brave lady, especially as a kid. I wouldn't do that. And you're also brave because you're a mental health advocate and you're telling your own personal story. That, that takes a lot. I mean, what is, what's the basis of your story here? Well, thank you for asking. It's interesting because when I first was diagnosed with a mental health disorder back in 2007, I was very embarrassed and just reluctant to talk about it at all. Only the 
very close select few knew anything about my diagnosis or the fact that I had my disorder. I didn't even tell my aunts and uncles or hmm. first cousins. They they didn't even know. You know, it was really just my mom and my brothers, my sister-in-law and a few friends that kind of found out by accident. I probably wouldn't have even told them if it hadn't been for me going through an episode in their presence because mm-hmm. I knew of the stigma that was attached with mental health challenges and mental health disorders. And even though the stigma is not as grave as it was, say, 50 years ago, it still persists. And a lot of people are afraid to share their story. They're afraid to talk about it Mm -hmm. because they're concerned that they'll be shunned and just ostracized. And in some cases, that still happens, Uh unfortunately. I I could believe it, you know, because when you and I first started talking about this, I was thinking, first of all, how brave you are to do this. And then I thought, wow, do I want somebody who has a, you know, some sort of a mental condition on the show? But then when I was talking to you on the phone, I thought, just what you said, no, this is a message that has to get out there. This is part of the reason for the Pennsylvania Project, to learn as much about this as we can. Now, you're using a couple words in there. Maybe we should define some terms. Like you, you said, episode. What do you mean by Episode. Okay, well, episode isn't one of the ones that I looked up, but from my own experience, I can describe to you what an episode is. Uh For me, I'm diagnosed as having bipolar disorder. And Uh so let me define bipolar disorder first. So, bipolar disorder, according to the World Health Organization in their lexicon of psychiatric and mental health terms, is characterized by two or more episodes in which the patient's mood and activity levels are significantly disturbed. This disturbance consists on some occasions of an elevation of mood and increased energy and activity, and on others of a lowering of mood and decreased energy and activity. And so those are the cycles of mania and depression. So then let me describe mania for you. Hang on, before you get into the de- the definitions like that, and who said that? No, who said that? World Health Organization? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> who said that? Ken, you're great. I appreciate you. the pun. I, I want to know what you say. What do you think it is? Just, you know, just a sentence or two. Sum it all up. So when I think about bipolar disorder, I think about what I learned in science about wavelengths and Uh the peaks and the valleys and how there's that midline that goes across. And I cannot remember the name for the midline. Someone that's a scientist will be able to tell us. But, you know, you want to stay, what'd you say? Zero. The zero line. You want to stay as close to that zero line or to a quote unquote normal mood mm-hmm. as possible. You don't want to be too elevated or in the manic phase and you don't want to be too low or in the depressed phase. You want to kind of stay in the middle. And so that's the goal of the medications that are prescribed to psychiatric patients. They're called psycho- psychotropic drugs uh-huh. and they try to help keep you in the middle. But sometimes, and I'm getting back to episode now, sometimes you'll okay. have an episode where despite being on the medication for some reason or another, it could be stress or just a change in your circumstances or what have you, or even a change in medicine that'll cause you to go into an episode of mania or cause you to go into a more severe episode of depression. So you may be able to live a regular, quote unquote, normal life for the most part, but then you may have these episodes that take you into either mania or depression. Uh-huh. And well, the goal is to stay out of those episode regions. Understood. 
Now, there's the word depression. I think we could all understand what that is. You know, everybody's got their down days. But what do you mean when you say mania? I mean, I, that's a, a term that lay people toss around like a manhole cover. What What do you mean by that? So I'll give you the World Health Organization's Who? just part. The, yes, I'm sorry. The, the world, the World Health Organization's definition, and I didn't write out the full definition because you can imagine by being the World Health Organization, yeah. they have this lexicon of 112 pages, and the definitions are quite extensive and very descriptive. But the beginning of the definition for mania is a disorder in which mood is elevated out of keeping with the individual circumstances and may vary from carefree joviality to almost uncontrollable excitement. Elation is accompanied by increased energy resulting in overactivity, pressure of speech, and decreased need for sleep. So <laughs> I've taken some recreational drugs that do that. <laughs> exactly. And so sometimes back to that term episode when I talk about my episodes of mania I relate it to what it might be like having a high from a drug now I've never uh -huh. personally taken any drugs of any type that are recreational I've, I've taken psychotropic meds as I've uh, mentioned but those drugs you know that people use recreationally give you a high and sometimes when you're in this manic phase you feel a sense of a high you feel like superman or superwoman like you're invincible you can do anything that all your dreams are coming true and that life couldn't get any better uh -huh. and then you come down from that and you realize that you were having a delusion, perhaps, and I'll describe wow. delusion for you. Delusion is a false, encourageable conviction or judgment out of keeping with reality and with the socially shared belief of the individual's background and culture. So in other words, you think something is true that isn't based in reality. And so that can be difficult to deal with as well because you're coming back to a sense of reality and you realize that the mania was just false. It uh -huh. was a complete false sense of self. It was a false uh -huh. sense of circumstances. And, and and this is what happened with you with your with your relatives. You had this episode back in two thousand seven and you couldn't hide it anymore. Well, yes. Um, let me think back to that episode. That actually now people with bipolar disorder often have comorbidity, as they say. I'm sorry, they have what? Comorbidity. And comorbidity means <laughs> uh, more, than one, more than one diagnosis that is coexisting. Uh -huh. And so sometimes that comorbidity could be substance abuse or alcohol use. Uh -huh. And sometimes that comorbidity could be another psychiatric disorder or mental health disorder. And so for me, I was diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactive disorder when I was a freshman in college, uh -huh. which was several years before the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And I was just reading on the internet uh, within the past couple of days that those two disorders are oftentimes diagnosed in tandem, that somebody with bipolar disorder may also have attention deficit hyperactivity uh -huh. disorder. You know, I just had a thought with what you said there. You said alcohol could do this. I know a lot of people who fit that definition of, of manic if they've had too much to drink. Well, yeah, so... They think they're Superman and they have these delusions and they're really, really happy and then all of a sudden, crash. So, and that's back to what I was saying before about how these recreational drugs will give you a high mm -hmm. and 
the psycho psychiatric disorders can also give you a high that are similar and that's why when those two if substance abuse and a psychiatric disorder are existing together that's why it's even graver or uh-huh. it's even more challenging for a person because now it's like they're having a double high and this yeah. is when you find people maybe passed out or uh-huh. different things i don't want to get into something that i really don't know anything about because i don't deal with alcohol use or drug uh-huh. use so i've never had that experience but it is told to people with psychiatric disorders that they really shouldn't be taking alcohol or drugs yep. in conjunction with their psychotropic medications because it causes a poor effect. Uh-huh. You and, know, I have some background in insurance. I was trained as an insurance professional a number of years ago. And one thing that you do is you find out what the various drugs that people are taking just for that very reason, to be able to warn them of what's going on. My guest today, Rhea M. Baskerville. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project. We'll be right back after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or covered up that one regretful choice. Put Sam Sia and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, Pennsylvania at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a fashion that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Freedom Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401000 Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. 866-383-6899. Call AJ Freedom Financial today or talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. That's 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve freedom fi- financial freedom from the man. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities, LLC. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache right out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y.com. The Green Party of Pennsylvania are grassroots activists, environmentalists, advocates for social justice, nonviolent resistors, and regular citizens who have had enough of corporate-dominated politics. Their goals are to promote green values by organizing communities, guiding legislation, providing viable new political options, and making government more participatory for all peoples. For more detail, contact the Green Party Pennsylvania at 717-839-2395 or locate them online at gpofpa.org. Thank you very much, Ariel. 
Hey, Ken Krawchuk here still, and we're back with episode 18 of the Pennsylvania Project and our guest, Rhea M. Baskerville, our mental health advocate. And she didn't run out of the room. I haven't scared her off yet. (laughs) I'm always surprised people don't run away. Now, before the break, you were talking about family and everything. Who do you who do you turn to for support in this? I mean, it, it must have been pretty traumatic for you in the beginning. Oh, yes, Ken. I think I forgot to finish my story from earlier. I think I got a little sidetracked. You had asked me another question about what happened with my friends. So basically, oh, yeah, what yeah. Ha- the, I, I had gone off on a tangent. The reason why I started talking about ADHD is because I had been diagnosed with ADHD and I had been unmedicated or untreated for that disorder because I felt I could deal with it you know, just by coping mechanisms and things of that nature. But then with some of my social awkwardness and problems I was seeing in myself with attention, I decided to ask my primary care physician for a medicine that would help with the attention deficit disorder. Mm -hmm. And I started taking it and I didn't feel like it was really helping. And so then, you know, I had somebody advise me to double the dosage, which I tried, and I still didn't feel like it was helping. And then I went on a trip. And while I was on the trip, I still didn't feel like the medication was working. So I decided to come off the medication and that's when things started to go downhill because uh-huh. you're never supposed to just take yourself off of a medication. You're always supposed to get weaned off uh-huh. by a doctor. So to anyone out there listening that's on any type of medication, I just want to warn you to please consult with your doctor before removing yourself from a medication that that doctor has placed you on because a lot of medications will give you difficult side effects if you suddenly discontinue using them. And that's particularly true of different psychotrophic medicines. And so once I took myself off that medicine, that's when I went into my first episode and, you know, started being delusional and things of that nature. And I was with a friend at the time and saying things that I guess didn't make sense to her or were out of character for me. And so then she referred, she had to go to work. So she referred me to another friend to help. So these are the support systems that you have in place. You have your friends. And then of course I have my family Uh and my mother who is here with me uh, at the studio today. She's my most ardent supporter and I can always count on her. She comes to see me every hospital stay that I've ever had. She's always there to visit and make sure I'm okay when I'm going through the recovery process as I am now because I just recently got out of two hospital stays within a very short period of time. And so she's she's really been helping me through the recovery process and making sure I'm okay. But then to any caregivers out there, I want to say you need to make sure you're okay. My mom is famous for saying make sure you put on your own oxygen mask first. We all (laughs) hear that when we're on the airplane. Uh You know, make sure before you put on anybody else's oxygen mask put on your own oxygen mask first because if you can't breathe then you're not going to be able to help anybody else to breathe and so she as my caregiver and when I say caregiver I don't mean that she's like bathing me or anything like that but she's there to help me she goes with me um sometimes to doctor's appointments to be an extra voice to say yes Mm -hmm. and she is experiencing these symptoms and I validate what she's saying and we need to get a medication adjustment immediately or You know, because sometimes, and I hate to say this, 
But practitioners don't always want to listen to the patient. But oh, when a supporter yeah. gets in and starts speaking on the patient's behalf, then all of a sudden their ears perk up, and a lot of times they start listening a little bit more. You know what? I'm hearing – one thing about the Pennsylvania Project is we're big on solutions. We like to find out how to fix things. You've just given us like three or four things right there all in a row, you know, about your mother having somebody there to advocate for you, for the doctor and everything, and to slowly wean yourself off the drugs – I'm going to have to tell my bartender that. Next time, <laughs> next time I'm getting ready to leave, you know, just we'll, we'll work back from shots down to beer, down to mixed drinks, <laughs> and then maybe a soda before I head out the door. And honestly, that there's some truth to that. Even with the recreational drugs, I'm sure. Again, I don't know anything about recreational drugs, but I imagine that even with that, you know, I mean, you hear people saying, oh, I don't I don't know if there's any truth to this. Drink coffee to sober up or this or that. No, you get a wide awake drunk if you drink coffee. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a myth. Okay, well, uh, let's not get off topic. But, uh, yes, I'm about solutions. And I'll tell you that one of my recent Toastmaster speeches was self-advocacy is self-care. Uh-huh. And so I've I'll been, Say that again. Self-advocacy is self-care? Self-advocacy is self-care. So you I hear like I put that. two buzzwords in there because self-advocacy is a big buzzword in the mental health community, as is self-care. And so what I spoke about was how... As the patient or as the person with the issue or as the person wanting to get well and to be healthy, you oftentimes have to speak up for yourself. And this carries over not only in the medical area of your life, but in all areas of your life. So when you, you know, say go to that restaurant and the waiter or waitress comes out with something that you didn't order Uh and... They say, oh, but you told me this, and they try to argue with you or whatever. Then that's when you step up and say, well, Mad, please speak with the manager. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's all types of instances in our lives where we can be advocates for ourselves, not only when it comes to our medical treatment, but to every facet of our lives. Uh And that becomes self-care because now you feel empowered. You've perhaps gotten what you wanted. Now, every time you advocate for yourself, you're not going to get your desired outcome, but at least you know you tried and you did your best to try to get in a better position than you were before you advocated for yourself. Rhea, this, this is knowledge for life. This is philosophy for life. This, you're just coming out with one thing after another. You sound like the wisdom of a mother or something like that. Oh, it's so ironic that you would talk about being a mother because one of the delusions that I've had and I spoke about on another broadcast was about wanting to get married uh-huh. and have children. And every single episode that I've had where I've been hospitalized has been because I was in a delusional state where I thought I was getting married. I thought some man was looking for me and I had to likewise be looking for him and then we mm-hmm. would find each other and then we would get married and then we could have children. I'm I'm over 40 and I'm single and you know I I desire that deeply in my life and it's such a deep desire that it comes out in my psychosis or you know in the delusional state in my subconscious Uh that, you know, I've had those thoughts. And it's when I talked about coming down from the high and coming back to reality, when you find out, oh, wait a minute, I'm not really getting married. There really isn't somebody looking for me. Here comes the depression then. Yes, you got it. So then the depression comes in and I might not sound depressed today. And that's because I'm doing something that I love. And 
So let me segue into something else. That's why it's important when you're dealing with depression and mania and different other mental health challenges that you find activities and hobbies that you can participate in that'll keep your mind off of things. Like Toastmasters. Like Toastmasters, which is one activity that I take uh-huh. part in. But there are so many more. Yep. One thing I wanted to touch on, you just we just mentioned it in the beginning, and that was the National Alliance on Mental Illness. What, can you tell us anything about them? What do they What do they do? Well, yes, I'd certainly like to share about the National Alliance on Mental Illness because they're a resource. They're a national resource for anyone that's dealing with any kind of mental illness, and they're based in the Virginia D.C. area. But there are chapters all throughout the country. So I would ask for anyone that's interested in learning about the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI for short, that they would visit www.nami.org, and they would be able to go and find their local chapter. And some of the resources that are provided are family-to-family classes where they teach family members about what it's like to live with a loved one who's suffering or, or living with a mental illness. And they give them coping skills. They give them ways to deal with crisis situations. They give them education. They also refer you to other services that are available, such as mental health first aid classes that you can wow. take to These learn. These guys even- do a lot. And yes. And how do you spell it? N-A-M-I dot org? Yes. N-A-M-I dot org. Mm-hmm. And... NAMI also has support groups that you can take part in. So that's something that can be helpful to people is for the families as well as for the ones affected directly by mental illness, they can find a a group that they can sit and talk to and share kind of war stories, so to speak, or share victories because it's important you know, to have victories. We talked earlier about a support system. So that's another place where you can find support and where you don't have to be ashamed and where you don't have to worry about being ostracized or worry about the stigma because everybody there is dealing with the same thing. See, that's where you're going to find your husband. Oh, you think so? I do. (laughs) I've seen Toastmaster romances where two people are trying to overcome their fear of speaking, public speaking. And it's, it sounds like it'd be a good place to start because somebody is going to understand exactly where you're coming from, just what you're going to need. Do they have gatherings? Do they get together? Do they do socials or something? Well, there's different groups that do uh, social activities. Uh, there's the Montgomery County Creating Increased Connections group, I believe. Uh-huh. And they meet uh, in two different locations that I'm familiar with. And they do social things. NAMI does social activities sometimes. They, you know, meet regularly. So there's lots of places that you can go for not only educational sessions and seminars, but also for social activities and fun. Uh huh. Do you know where we are running out of time? Are there any other resources you want to mention? A website for somebody else besides NAMI.org? Well, I'd just like to let people know that even if they want to keep in touch with me or um, ask me a question, that you can email me at R-H-E-A-M-A-R-I-E, the single number one, at gmail.com. That's Rhea Marie, the number one, at at gmail.com. R-H-E-A-M-A-R-I-E, the number one, at gmail.com. And, you know, I'll be happy to continue the dialogue or 
you know, try to answer any questions as best I can. Again, I'm a lay person. I'm not a medical professional. That's the best thing. We're just a regular person looking at it from the inside. And there was one more thing I did want to say. Okay. And that was just that for the those who are watching on YouTube that I suffer from tardive dyskinesia and that's why you see me making all the facial gestures and movements. It's very uncomfortable for me and it's hard to deal with, but it's one of the side effects of the medication oh, that man. hopefully will be going away soon uh, as I'm getting weaned off of the medication that's causing it. Okay, and I have one final question for you. Which Toastmasters Club are you a member of? We'll find you there. Oh, yes. So please come visit us at Covenant Toastmasters Club. We meet on the campus of New Covenant Church in the, I guess that's Lower Chestnut Hill, Upper Germantown section of Philadelphia. It's right on Germantown Avenue. It's the Covenant Toastmasters Club. And you can just Google us and you'll find our address and when we meet, which is the second and fourth Wednesdays of every month. And get to meet you in person. Well, that's going to wrap it up for the them portion of the Pennsylvania Project. My thanks to Rhea M. Baskerville for appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. Thank you very much. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my crawl, restricting medical freedom. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Ariel, how's it going? Eh, it could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? Because they want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn Amendment 16 that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, not the 16th Amendment of the Constitution. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes, all the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N dot C-O-M. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider yourself running for local public office. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 18 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant for a little bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Today, it's restricting medical freedom. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it was inspired by a question we got from Crystal Hunsacker in Jonestown, PA, a founding member of the Pennsylvania Medical Freedom Alliance. She asked my stance on medical freedom issues, specifically vaccine exemptions, Paul's Law, and the right to try. Great questions, Crystal. I hope I have time to get to them all. We'll see. 
Well, the first thing I did was, like I did with Bernie, I went and I looked up the Pennsylvania Medical Freedom Alliance. And I didn't want to find out there are another Center for Public Integrity, which they weren't. Well, I read it, and I simply love the Medical Freedom Alliance's mission statement. Nothing vague here. Quote, we promote engaged, knowledgeable patient advocacy and lobbying on issues related to medical freedom, access to alternative medicines, and the choice of alternative care options. Pretty blunt. I like that. Objective? Sure sounds good to me, medical freedom. I don't know. Bernie may not like them, though. These people are self-admitted lobbyists. I guess I am, too. But, you know, to me, these are just the sort of people I want talking to our legislatures. These are just the sort of people I would like handing out their copycat bills. And, you know, don't take my word for it. I'm just this guy. Check them out yourself. P-A-M-F-A dot org. That's the Pennsylvania Medical Freedom Alliance dot org. But I digress. So let's get to Crystal's questions and issues one at a time. And like I said, let's see if I have time to finish. Start with the vaccines. Of course, as a libertarian, I think you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided you respect the rights and property of others. The golden rule on a political level. So what do I think about vaccines? If you want one, fine. If you don't, fine. It's your choice. Your life, your way, as long as you're not harming others. Personally, I think vaccines are a great thing. You know, I, I have all the ones I can. And yes, some carry risks, but most of them don't. Yes, they've had problems with mercury used as a preservative in some, but that's generally been abandoned every place they could. And yes, there may be religious objections, but again, that's your life, your way. It's up to you whether or not you want to do it. Whatever the reason why you do or don't want a vaccine, it should be your choice, period. That's short and sweet. And you know, there's been a big upswing in measles cases lately. And you know where it's been spreading? Among the unvaccinated people, of course. Well, what else would you expect? You know, you take the risk, you pay the price. Your life, your way. And it may come out to be your death, your way. But the choice is still yours, not the government's. Although the government sometimes forces you to take evacuations, vaccinations. Of course, I'm a libertarian. I oppose any kind of initiation of force, not just with vaccinations, but just in general. But a lot of hospitals require it of their workers there. But you see, they're just looking at the risk factor. It's a much greater risk. Because you're in a hospital, and a hospital is by definition filled with sick people. So it's a lot easier for you to catch the measles or something like that. So I can see why it's important if you're a worker at a hospital that you may want to get vaccinated. But, but I am a libertarian, and this is private employment, and a private employer can establish whatever rules they want. If you don't like those rules, don't work there. Go somewhere else. You're going to wind up forcing the hospital to change their policy. I mean, this is the same kind of thing that Rosa Parks did with the Alabama bus company, Montgomery, Alabama bus company. They boycotted the buses because they wouldn't let her ride in the front of the bus. They drove the bus company to the brink of bankruptcy. So you have a power just by saying no. I'm digressing again. Use of a vaccine should always, always be the individual's choice. Never, never the government's choice. But unfortunately, a couple of years ago, Pennsylvania passed a law requiring vaccinations for school kids, the ones in the government schools. They took the parents out of the equation. And they did leave some exemptions, though. One big ones was for religious reasons, and I'm in favor of that. But now with the upswing in measles cases, I checked. There are now bills being introduced. We're going to remove that religious exemption. Do you believe that? 
You know, California did that a number of years ago. They removed their religious exemption. And you know what happened? The number of medical-related exemptions went up. <laughs> and people started gaming the system. And you know what I say? Good for them. Go for it. When it comes to anything about your kids, parents should always come first, not the government. But you know, Pennsylvania, now they're going to try and take away your religious objections. And I always go back to my job description, the Pennsylvania Constitution, and that is a clear violation of Article 1, Section 3 of our Pennsylvania Constitution. It says, quote, unquote, all men have a natural and indefeasible right to worship Almighty God according to the dictates of their own consciences. No man can be compelled to attend, erect, or support any place of worship or maintain any ministry against his consent, like vaccinations. To continue, no human authority can in any case whatsoever control or interfere with the right of conscience unless it involves vaccinations. I guess we should append a phrase to the end of Section 3. Unless your religion involves vaccinations. What are the Amish are going to do about this? I don't know. Do the Amish have lobbyists? Find out for me, Bernie. Let's hope they do. I don't know. So it's an easy matter where I stand on vaccinations. Your life, your way. And pay the price if you're wrong. Next up. Crystal mentioned the right to try laws. This is kind of the opposite of the vaccination issue. And I support right to try laws for the very same reason. You have the right to live your life your way, provided you respect the rights and property of others. If you want to try a procedure or drug, fine. If you don't, fine. So it should be up to you, period. But unfortunately, most of these right to try laws have overly strict rules saying who does and doesn't have that right to try, like with vaccinations, but like with vaccinations, I think the decision should always, always be up to individual. Because if not, it opens up that proverbial can of worms. Because if everyone has the right to try any one drug, well, by extension, they have the right to try any drug. And today, there's a government cartel that controls access to all drugs. It's called doctor licensure. It's called prescription drug laws. I should have included these guys in episode 17 when I was talking about fascist organizations in Pennsylvania who have taken over part of the government for their own purposes. Because you know who decides these things, prescriptions and everything? Doctors. They got their own little cartel. You know who decides who gets into the doctor's cartel? Doctors. Hmm. You know, I'd be in favor of it if it was your life, your way, but it's not because People are actually dying from decisions that these doctors are making. Limiting access to drugs has been has caused a whole bunch of new deaths. Like in episode 10, I talked about the opioid crisis. I talked about how Portugal eliminated, eliminated I can talk, 85% of their drug deaths simply by making opioids legal. That's it. I'm not going to go into all the details again and how they did it. Check it out. It's my rant at the end of episode 10 about how Portugal eliminated 85% of their opioid deaths by getting doctors out of the equation. You know, my Irv Homer, who is my libertarian predecessor here at WWDB Talk Radio, he talked extensively about the benefits of Laetrile. And I know somebody whose cancer was abated because of Laetrile. But you know, the FDA went and made it illegal. Supply of Laetrile was cut off, and this person died. 
These are the decisions that are being made. Do you see the logic here? They think these are well-meaning laws to limit your access to drugs, but they're causing more deaths than they're saving. Portugal proved that. 85% saved. Irv Homer knew that, God rest his soul. But our government, our cartel of doctors, they don't care. I should probably get a doctor on here as a guest. That'd be pretty cool. Bottom line, let's get these fascist cartels out of our medical industry. Right to try laws don't do that. They just strengthen the cartel because you're doing it on their terms. And although the restrictive laws do solve the problem correctly, it's not solving the correct problem, as I like to say. The correct problem to solve is how do we save the most lives? What about Paul's law? I'm going to have to go through this pretty quickly. I rant too long. Paul's law is a law against denying organ transplants to low-benefit patients, they call them, like autistic patients. The original Paul was an autistic, and they denied him a transplant because they thought it just wasn't worth giving it to an autistic person. I know, isn't that horrible? Man. So if you want to help Paul, if you want to help everyone, regardless of disability, and solve the correct problem, get government out of the way, support the free market. And on that hopeful note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 18 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com, and you can hear us there too, as well as iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited and recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley. Marketing guru is Connor Dragotis. Our featured Toastmaster narrator is a Drexel University Toastmasters, Ariel Vatnin. Keyboard wizard and singing in the background there is Joe the Pag. Radio producer through the window is Brett Kronberger. Executive producer who didn't cough today is Mark Bazzacco. And me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, what's more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.